Welcome to Connect with Success with Dr. Lynette Scatiswatilla, where we help connect you with knowledge. Our mission is to lead you to a new and exciting way of understanding, responding to, and helping all those with autism. We hope to expand your thinking about how to best serve these amazing people and to support you in your daily struggles and celebrations. Welcome everyone to the seventh episode of Connect with Success, a podcast built around the success approach and the person who coined it, Dr. Lynette Scott Tees-Wattilla. In episode six, we introduced the next foundational application to this, the success approach, which was built around cognitive processing. In this episode, we're going to build on this discussion by adding on socialization to the mix. Let's take a moment before we jump in to talk with Dr. Lynette about today's term for the show. Today's term is reciprocity. And what is reciprocity? Well, the long and short of it is basically the ping pong of conversation. But it's actually known as the dynamic and reciprocal act of sustaining attention. And so partners sort of have to ping and pong in their conversation or in their discussions. All right, so we're back with our message for today. And I want to pick back up on this whole idea of what reciprocity is. Lynette, tell us a little more about how reciprocity plays a role in childhood development. Well, it's actually a precursor to friendship development. So when we have reciprocity in this back-and-forth dyad, if you will, between people, we have relationships form. And um, there's something very interesting called mutual regulation. And it sounds kind of fancy, but what it really means is that my behavior socially impacts your behavior socially. So, um, for instance, if we are both neurotypical and we're having a conversation, my eye gaze, my gestures, my affect, my voice, everything is informing you to pay attention to my words and join in the conversation. And I'll pause, and it'll be your turn. So there's this under unspoken sort of ping-pong. And while you are talking, I'm noticing your gestures and your inflection. I'm getting meaning from all of this sort of nonverbal expression. And we can regulate each other to have a good conversation. But if we wanted to stop the conversation, if I wanted to impose upon you um, that you stop, I might um, consciously or subconsciously start yawning or look away from you. Um, And because you're picking up on my what we call social pragmatic cues, you know, you're reading my attentiveness to the social information you're putting out, you would probably pause and say, gosh, you know, Lynette, I'm so sorry. Am I boring you? Or, gosh, you seem distracted. Are you okay? Or, yeah, yeah, okay, I know. I've said the story five times. I'll stop. You'd read me. Mm -hmm. You'd read my cues, my social, pragmatic, nonverbal cues, and respond. And that's mutual regulation when we regulate each other in a conversation. And so is is reciprocity a natural process for all people or specific to those in the spectrum? It's a natural process um, just in human development, but one of the precursors to reciprocity is something not so talked about. So let's kind of go back and say what underscores the capacity or the child's ability to have reciprocity. And the answer is what we call joint attention. So joint attention happens when there is a shared relevant stimuli that two people are attending to together. So a great example I try to tell people, and this is in my course as well, um, if you are the daddy of a three-year-old and you're at the zoo and you have your three-year-old on your hip and you're at the cheetah exhibit, you may take your finger 
and point to the cheetah way up, either behind the tree or on the rocks or something, and turn to your child and say, see, way back over there, that's the cheetah, that's the cat or whatever you're going to call it. Um, and that child knows to kind of follow your finger. And as soon as they see it, they'll kind of like look back at you, then back at the cheetah, then back at you. And it's like this triangle between your eyes, the child's eyes, and this mutual subject of interest. And that beautiful joint attention, which is this little triangular image we get, is the precursor to common understanding or common perspective, um, which is the precursor to reciprocity. You can't be reciprocal about a concept or an idea that you can't see or understand that your communicative partner sees and understands. Right. So why is it that those individuals with autism struggle with reciprocity? Well, I think part of it is that a, they're not good self-regulators. We talked a minute ago about mutual regulation, but they're not often self-regulated. That has to come before mutual regulation. So their bodies are not often in check. They might be revving high. They might be a little low arousal. Um, they might be distracted, not kind of in their body. Um, and so sometimes that's the reason, that they're not even grounded to be a communicative partner. But if they are grounded and they are trying to communicate, they may not read the social pragmatic cues, like I mentioned before, coming out of their communicative partner. And there's kind of this neurological reason or theory that they are now exploring a bit. It's actually not that new. Um, but to understand it, we first have to talk just a little bit about something called mirror neurons. Um, and it's a brain term, of course, but mirror neurons are the neurons that are in the premotor cortex. And they're responsible for our ability to perceive and understand the actions of others. Um, and they're sort of like a monkey see, monkey do kind of neuron. They help us to be able to imitate. And studies have found, like in 2011, um, that there's decreased long-range connections that um, make these neurons not do their job very well. So it's actually a brain problem. Um, and that study was produced by Mostovsky and Ewan in 2011. And so the behavior, the social behavior of people that have problems with these particular neurons and the parts of the brain that process information from the motor neurons um, really do struggle to understand and to read the environment well. And so they can't do monkey see, monkey do. They can't imitate a funny face. Um, these are the kids that, you know, <laughs> don't really have a good read when there's somebody funny in front of them making a funny face. They don't know what sticking the tongue out means because mm -hmm. they miss it. And so they can't do it back and have a funny reaction like some others would that have like a a silly face war, you know. So this is a neurological reason. It's not a choice. They're not trying to be aloof. It's one of the words I despise the most uh, <laughs> personally is the term aloof um, because it's such an assessment kind of term of what the person maybe doesn't want. But it's not about wanting socialization. It's about understanding it. Mm -hmm. Processing it in general. Processing it in general, yep. Mm -hmm. So how does this fit in with communication? I mean, this this is a heavy topic, so the the success approach classes available online mm -hmm. or in person eventually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'd like that too. <laughs> right. Um, but right now it's definitely available online, self-paced and they can learn all about uh, social pragmatic theory and, and mm -hmm. the communication piece. But just briefly, 
Describe for us, how, how does it fit in with communication? Well, first of all, communication is very dynamic, and this is from the field of speech therapy. We know that the success approach has theories from occupational therapy, special education, psychology, and speech therapy, and social pragmatic theory comes from speech language pathology theory and discipline. Um, and any speech therapist would say that communication is very complex. There's different kinds of communication. There's nonverbal, there's preverbal, there's verbal, there's gestural. There's a lot of different manifestations of communication. Um, but if we're dealing with a child with autism, sometimes what happens is they don't have a second nature or an automaticity to their language. They have to think about the word or they don't understand the word. Um, or they understand the word, but something in the environment shuts them down from using that language well. Um, and, you know, it's such a language and communication is so paced. It's so um, ping, pong, ping, pong, initiate, respond, initiate, respond. There's a rhythm to language and communication, right? And so a lot of our kids don't have that timing, <laughs> um, or they have delayed processing themselves. So a joke shared or a piece of information shared gets missed on them, or they process it seven or, or eight minutes, eight seconds rather, later than everyone else, and so they don't, they don't, their, their timing is off. And that causes problems with reciprocity. Yeah, I often see that uh, my son loves to tell jokes mm. and loves to tell jokes. Yes. And, um, but it, when he hears them, it takes a minute for him to think about the punchline. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll prompt him with things like, so you're thinking about what we just said. Yes. Or I, I see you're really trying to think about what the punchline was. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes we have to explain it. And then once we explain it, he right. finds it funny. Right. You know, but yeah, that not being able to process things as fast as everybody else is totally on the mark. Yeah, which goes back to information processing theory because kids like Finn are struggling with the abstraction mm -hmm. of the humor. Um, words have double meaning like we talked about in information processing theory. So if he only knows one meaning of a word and the joke is a play on a different meaning of the word, it's not funny, it's confusing. <laughs> right. And so we don't see the humor in that when we're confused. So I can relate to Thin when um, someone's telling a joke about something that's out of my wheelhouse, a concept I don't know, I can't relate to it. Right. So we can really sympathize with having information processing deficits in the context of social pragmatic deficits and how difficult it is to really, you know, quote unquote, fit in. Right. And so where do you see some of the other struggles that you find uh, that the children are having with communication? Well, they don't often have combined means. We talked about in the class, and this is a good thing to uh, look up on. You can check in with your speech-language pathologist. Your pediatrician knows all these milestones as well. But um, a lot of kids don't meet their developmental milestones for um, speech development and communication because they don't have combined means. Um, they can't be gestural and verbal and use their eye gaze all at the same time, whereas neurotypical kids are telling you lots of ways what they want and lots of ways what they need. Um, there is also a difficulty requesting or protesting or commenting like other kids do for their age. And so while it's pretty evident to some people that a child may want a favorite toy because the child's reaching for it and maybe saying the name of the toy, sometimes children with autism don't have all those means. They might glance at it, and if you missed it, if you missed that eye gaze to that toy, you missed that that's what they want. Mm -hmm. So they're not very um, full and comprehensive communicators, and that becomes difficult. They're big thinkers. Big thinkers. They often know what they want, but they don't know that the world is watching them mm -hmm. and waiting for them to communicate to the world about it. Because, again, that perspective taking, that theory of mind that we talked about in information processing in Episode 6, 
um, is missing. They don't know that they can influence someone else to know what they're thinking. And that's frustrating for them as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so what are some of the techniques that you or parents have used that, have found, that you found helpful in the practice of helping a student with their communication and reciprocity? Well, sometimes what we do is we help them to really be more solid in comprehending. So there's two kinds of language, expressive and receptive, and the receptive language part is the comprehension part. So we really want to sure up that the child understands the meaning of words, the meaning of simple things like prepositions. We have a lot of kids that struggle with prepositions, things like next to, between, beyond. Um, It's easy for us because we understand those directionality But if you think about it, those terms are all relational terms to other things. So Mm -hmm. up is only up when there's something beneath it, (laughs) right? Right, right. And so those terms are sometimes confusing. So we definitely want to sure up receptive language and comprehension. The other thing we want to help children on the spectrum know um, is that communication serves a purpose that is both functional and social. Research has shown that kids with autism tend to communicate for um, sort of instructional sort of need meeting sort of content. So they'll request something because they're hungry um, or they'll um, identify something that they prefer. They're not offering social information or saying, gosh, Dr. Smith, I really like your headset. Mm -hmm. They're not complimenting. They're not noticing things that are out in the environment as much because they're kind of um, unto themselves in the true definition of autism unto self um, by Leo Connor way back in the 1940s that's sort of what happens socially they can't really think too easily about others it's they're more likely to be in tune to their own needs and so that's what they think about and that's how they respond and really they're trying to build that relationship to make those connections so they, they start with themselves to that's see right. if they can process it. That's right. And when they start with themselves, that's often where it ends too because they don't have that good brainstem integration we talked about in sensory integration theory. They don't have the opportunity to be good mutual regulators in the context of socialization. And so they're kind of stuck and they need us to meet them like we would on the Gestalt cycle of experience that we talked about in Gestalt theory, join them on their cycle so they can make contact with their world and socialize or learn or think or perform whatever they're required to do at that given moment. Any final thoughts on communication and reciprocity for um, as we begin to wrap up the message today? Any other tips, tricks you want to give to the, the parents? Yeah, I think one thing we can do is use peers. You know, we don't oftentimes um, consciously remember that peers are great teachers. You know, we want to play, 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 play. Social play is really important. And you can learn a lot about play if you're a child on the spectrum, by being with kids who are not on the spectrum at things like a playground or um, during a puppet show or even just being in a social environment where you're playing with toys and how to navigate turn-taking and sharing. We really want our peers to be strong role models for our kids. But we also have to be responsible so that those peers know how to slow things down and make the message salient, if you will, for the child who's watching. Um, And so if parents are motivated to do so, they can make little peer groups in their own communities and have what we call the peer prop. It's kind of a funny term, but Mm -hmm. in the terms of um, therapy, we'll call a prop a child who is there to 
to learn from. And so we might tell the child, now we're going to have, you know, Janie come in, and Janie needs a lot of time to understand what you want to tell her. So when I say it's your turn to talk, I want you to turn your body towards Janie, make sure that you're not moving your hands, that you're mostly talking, because if you start moving your hands and you're wiggling around, she's going to get distracted with your body and mm -hmm. miss your voice. So you can engage these kids in very simplistic kind of instruction to really help the Janies of the world to get the social content little bursts at a time, and then it builds and builds and builds. So social, or we would say peer-mediated play is really a good tool for these kids if the person governing the children mm -hmm. knows how to cue the kids who are the peer props. Especially since, and, and I can speak from experience here, when your, your child starts to really build on that concept of finding that one best friend mm -hmm. and that whole idea of helping them to understand that these connections need to take place in order to build those friendships. Mm-hmm. One of the things that also is helpful, we we're talking about peers, but another thing we can do, and we kind of talked about it with joint attention with my little example at the zoo, we as adults and even siblings of our kids can go out of our way to model joint attention. So what that means is if you're home talking to your children as a group um, at the dining room table um, and you hold up the mashed potatoes, and you say, look, Dad, I have mashed potatoes. You see the spoon? The spoon's right in the middle, isn't it? And in that moment, your child with autism is watching you, and they're seeing that the bowl of potatoes is the centerpiece of both Dad and Mom's eyes. Mm. And as you're talking about the potatoes to Dad, you can make sure that you're looking at Dad and then tell your child, now watch, I'm going to look at Daddy Make sure he's looking at me, and then we're both going to look at the potatoes. Then I'm going to look at Daddy, and then the potatoes. You can model joint attention. And that's a simple thing to do. I mean, I'm not saying go home and make dinner homework. <laughs> right. Um, but any opportunity you have to point out what you are doing with your eyes and your voice when it comes to sharing attention is only going to help your kids know how to do it as well. Yeah, and, and, and I think for us as parents, it's a great reminder that everything is a teachable moment, mm -hmm. you know, that we're constantly on the stage and they're constantly watching us, especially those children who are on the spectrum, mm -hmm. um, to try and help make sense of that world. Yes, and in the analogy with mashed potatoes, as I think about it, it's a beautiful thing to model, but then what's so nice about a bowl of mashed potatoes is you then quite literally share them. Mm. So the joint attention becomes a shared experience, and that is the beauty of reciprocity and using that ping pong, ping pong to intervention and to um, exchanges. It's really powerful. So the challenge for today, listeners, especially for the younger kiddos, is to try to watch for ways that you can establish joint attention with your child by first watching what they are attending to. And for our older folks on the spectrum, try to help them better regulate or reciprocate socially by modeling how to be both an initiator and responder, the ping and the pong in conversation. So coming off of our discussion on processing information and making connections, we highlighted the next step in this episode on reciprocity and communication and the importance of being purposeful during these social interactions. Um, what are some of the other key takeaways for this episode, Lynette? I would say we always want to remember that joint attention will lead to reciprocity, and that reciprocity leads to relationships like friendships. 
We also want to remember that communication involves both responding and initiating what is meaningful information. We hope that you learned something today to help you on your journey with autism. We'll share more on our next Connect with Success podcast. Until then, expect success. The Success Approach is a registered service mark protected under intellectual property law. Unless otherwise specified, all music, audiovisual, and proprietary content shared in this podcast is property of Autism Productions, LLC, and its sister agency, Integrations Treatment Center. The use of this content is unlawful without the expressed written consent of aforementioned agency. For more information about The Success Approach, please go to our website at www.thesuccessapproach.org.